thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. In episode 156 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Dr. Tom Bellella to discuss food sensitivity testing, fat loss, and building muscle. You will learn the importance of quality, quantity, and timing, how to prioritize testing for both health practitioners and clients, how to utilize food sensitivity testing to achieve your health goals, how to reintroduce food triggers, and so much more. Let's welcome Tom to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm here in New Jersey in US of A, so thanks for having me. Amazing. Great to have you on the show. I'd love you to start by sharing your story and certainly what led you to do what you do today. Sure. Well, many years ago when I was 11 years old, I'm currently 53. My mom, her name was Carla. She was an avid runner and she kind of slipped or fell or went into a ditch or something happened where she really hurted her lumbar spine. She really injured herself. Um, you know, came on steadily and, and she was in the hospital and she was in traction. She probably had a herniated disc and she was um, not getting better and she was slowly getting like relying on muscle relaxers and anti-inflammatories and, and even painkillers to some degree. And fortunately, someone said, you need to get out of here and go to a chiropractor. And that's exactly what she did. She got out of the house after about two weeks. I was 11 years old. It was a very trying time for, the, for me and my mom. It was just us. We just lost my stepfather a year prior to a very tragic death. She went to this chiropractor, Dr. Bill Kelly, here in New Jersey, and through chiropractic and nutrition and Bach flower remedies, you know, saved her life and changed her life and did the same thing for me, quite frankly. So at a very early age, I committed my life and my studies to teaching people the right path, which is, you know, chiropractic and natural medicine because it really saved our family. Um, so that's how I got inspired. And, you know, 40 some years later, here I am and helped a lot of people and I'd like to share the importance of natural medicine. Yeah, I love that. It's so interesting how a lot of us have our own personal journey and it certainly helps, I think, you know, relate to the people that you come across in your community. But you definitely, um, you know, I know that you like to encourage a very holistic approach to health and that you focus mm-hmm. on certain systems of the body and um, I'm sure different pathologies that you do see. But let's start with the basics. Um, tell us a little bit about your food philosophy. Yeah, the, so the food philosophy is number one, no, you know, one size fits nobody. Mm. Everyone is certainly uniquely different. And we rely heavily in my office on food sensitivity testing to get insight, you know, a blueprint of the foods that might be right for you, your unique immune system. So it kind of starts there, you know, and I explain to my patients, think of food as, and your eating patterns or habits as quality quantity and timing. So we start with that and really the way to determine quality of food. Now, of course, there's, you know, obvious quality of food, you know, man-made versus, you know, God or nature made of just looking at a potato versus a potato chip, but more specifically, what's right for you? Because some people are sensitive to avocados or broccoli or chicken or kale. 
So when our clients actually invest in the food sensitivity test, you know, it's a little more than 90% accurate. We now have a blueprint of the quality of food for that individual, and it makes a profound difference. So then from there, we get specific on teaching them quantity. You know, what is your unique dietary protein goal and how to get it based on your food sensitivity. You know, what's your carbohydrate tipping point, so to speak, with respect to insulin spiking and making sure or, you know, your insulin's not too low or too high. And of course, how much dietary fat you require each and every day based on this unique, you know, metabolism and the uniqueness of the person. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a really great summary as to how we can personalize nutrition. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what's involved with the food sensitivity uh, yeah. testing that you do? Sure. So we do it in-house. It's a blood yeah. test, and it's really good. We use right now LEAP um, Oxford. It's called an MRT, a mediated release technique. So it checks for 120 foods and 30 different chemicals. And it's an IgG test, which mm-hmm. is usually, you know, it's not an IgE, so you're not going to really find food allergies, but delayed hypersensitivity reactions involving usually histamine, prostaglandins, and cytokines. And these can be measured. So it's a very good test. It's, a, it's an affordable test. And it's a really, really, I guess, it improves compliance. And it's one of the keys of our success at my nutrition treatment center here in Red Bank, New Jersey. So not a hard test, not expensive test. And I'll tell you this for any practitioners listening or people in general, it really increases compliance considerably. Because when you know from your own individual blood work that you have sensitivity to these foods, first of all, you reduce or eliminate these foods, you typically start to feel better right away. Because if your body's fighting subtle inflammation, it affects hormone-sensitive lipase and other you know, enzymes and hormones in the body, which would prevent fat loss. So, so I'm really a big fan of food sensitivity testing for most of my patients. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like you said at the start, it can be foods like avocado and broccoli. And that's where it can be really confusing when you're doing it quite blind, shall we say. Like you might have obviously cut out the obvious inflammatory foods like you might even be following like a, a real food template or paleo. Um, but there are these trigger foods that I think can be, you know, the barrier to a lot of people when it comes to getting rid of the underlying inflammation and allowing that body to, to burn the fat. That's exactly right. No, you're absolutely right. And it's critical. And I've had people who have been to three or four different nutritionists or tried different diets. And I explained to them, one size fits nobody. We, we, we need to do the test and find out what food is right for you. And then they lose foods for a period of time. And then we teach them how to introduce those back and you know, kind of challenge your immune system to see if there's still a sensitivity. Yeah, so that was my next question because obviously I've seen a lot of the test results and especially for someone that's got, you know, dysbiosis or leaky gut, they Mm -hmm. have like a huge number of foods, which is obviously not a long-term strategy Mm -hmm. to put someone on this significantly reduced elimination diet. So tell us what you do and um, how you kind of, I guess, evolve the diet once you've addressed Mm -hmm. that underlying cause. Well, I want to go backwards. You just said something important. Now, if someone comes in with significant digestive issues and dysbiosis, oftentimes I'll run even a stool analysis or a leaky gut test before a food sensitivity test. If we know that this person needs to, you know, has dysbiosis, they need to heal and seal their gut first. My first strategy is usually not food sensitivities. Of course, it's, you know, you know, look at the microbiome 
address that, you know, address their own, you know, sometimes their own ways that they're handling food, chewing their food, et cetera, and then do the food sensitivity testing. So that's a different subset of patients, so to speak, but with a patient who doesn't have that as a primary concern, like major dysbiosis and major GI issues, we go into the food sensitivity testing. We see how they're doing with that. I do body comp analysis every time they come in with a, um, an in-body machine. So we get really good data visit to visit. And after a certain period of time, we'll introduce foods. If you lost avocado, let's see if we can give back the avocado, right? But if you lost like soybeans or you lost wheat, oftentimes I'm not like, let's, let's kind of wait on this stuff. Let, yeah. Let's get these good foods back, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. You've got to look at your priorities. And I, I like to right. personally have a, you know, a conversation with the client as well and to involve them in that reintroduction protocol because some people do find it really challenging initially and let's say they've cut out, you know, almonds or maybe even eggs and it's something that they're mm. really missing. Then, you know, personally, right. I like to explore what, what that they would like to bring back in as long as it's a whole food, obviously, um, to allow this to be a really sustainable approach to treating the underlying cause. Absolutely. And you said my favorite food, which is the egg. Yeah, it's a trigger food though, isn't it? <laughs> it can be, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, sure. fascinating. That's really cool. Mm. Okay. Um, now, what... what and, and I'll, I'm sorry, and the last component, mm. I just got you off, sorry, quality, quantity, then of course there's timing, course. you know, getting your timing right with food, especially if someone's going to put on muscle or sometimes you do strategic with, you know, pulsing your protein through the day, different eating frequency, but some people don't, they don't need to eat every three hours. They may go longer, obviously, between meals or even sometimes intermittent fasting. So, of course, the point is, is that it's so unique. Every person is different. What works for John might not work for Sally. So, it's um, it's the way I educate, quality, quantity, and timing. Yeah, they're great points. And I'd like to explore the timing a little bit more. And let's maybe... Um talk about this in the context of say the difference between someone whose primary goal is fat loss versus mm -hmm. a primary goal of building muscle. Sure. Well, of course, it can be a little bit ahead. general for me. Mm. Yeah. The first distinction, of course, is looking at their caloric needs. And, you know, what I do is I rely on my in-body to look at someone's basal metabolic rate. So, you know, most of our clients will want to lose body fat. So you want to get very strategic and get specific on, again, how many calories per day and how to, you know, work those macros. You know, and I explain to patients, you know, or my clients, what do you think is harder for the body to do? put on muscle or take off fat. And most people get the answer wrong. It's actually more difficult to put on muscle. It's very, it's more difficult to create than to destroy. So putting on muscle, and that could be a college athlete or, you know, high school athlete, or even someone who's looking to increase muscle mass for bodybuilding or powerlifting or CrossFit, you know, eating frequency becomes very, very important. And I get very specific on figuring how many calories they burn a day. And this is something I teach in my, I have something called the peak performance manual, which I created a formula um, through the years on how to look at your weight and come up with a coefficient like 12, 15, or 17 to come up with a prediction of how many calories that you are burning a day. And I may have a, you know, 200 pound, you know, college running back in my office and I go, okay, Joe, if you are burning 2,700 calories a day and you consume 2,700 calories a day, what's going to, what's going to change in your weight? <laughs> and most of them get it, nothing. So you may need to increase your caloric intake 25% over and above that 2,700. So packing on muscles, not about working out harder or longer. Oftentimes it's more about recovery and frequent feeding. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's interesting mm -hmm. and obviously um, probably a little bit 
contradictory for people who have been taught, you know, in the, in this well, via this show, we talk about like infrequent feeding to a degree to get away from mm-hmm. that constant snacking, which obviously has mm-hmm. the GI distress, and for mm-hmm. a lot of people, it stops their ability to burn fat. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, we have to consider whether that individual does want to gain muscle as well. That's exactly right. And that's why I say everyone's unique. But of course, you know, we're living in a world of diabesity. So we all know that most patients are going to see practitioners like ourselves, you know, their goal is to lose body fat. But, you know, preserving the muscles is a very important component of that is preventing that sarcopenia. Mm -hmm. So coming up with that proper protein carb fat ratio is critical. But of course, there are some people who want to put on muscle. So, you know, we address that in my office as well. Cool. So 25% more than your BMR for obviously building muscle. Do you have actually more? Okay. Actually, I'm sorry to get more than it's over and above your BMR more than your totally total daily expenditure. So Uh, BMR is just, you know, eating and, you know, just, you know, what BMR is, is just Uh basic functions of the physiology of the body. With my program, I actually determine your calories burnt through the day it's a prediction so you have to go 25 percent higher than that Mm. for increasing you know lean body mass great thanks for clarifying Mm -hmm. that and so is it Mm -hmm. 25 percent the other way for fat loss good question it can be absolutely so that's a starting point on my formula yes so it's usually about 25 percent less than you're burning through the day now of course sometimes you need to modify or make adjustments to that but as a general rule that's a starting point interesting cool so speaking of fat loss what do you see as some big mistakes that people are making yeah for, for sure is that what happens is sometimes they'll restrict their calories for too long, you know, and then your metabolism fights back. You start to reduce, you know, the thermogenic capacity of the body. You know, we do know things change like your ghrelin and your leptin levels. So what happens is sometimes you're restricting their calories too long or we're doing restricted feeding for too long without actually, you know, giving your body more quality calories from time to time. So that can be a big mistake um, with fat loss. And oftentimes, if you're losing fat too quick in the beginning, that's not you up for failure three, four, five, six weeks later. So sometimes I have to explain, listen, one to two pounds of fat a week while preserving muscle is our goal and our target, not three to four pounds. You know, you might get three to four pounds in the beginning, you know, during what I call the cleanse phase. But after that, one to two pounds while preserving muscle is the key. So that's something that you really have to explain because most, most people, when it comes to fat loss, you know, they want it done yesterday. Yeah, for sure. And we're surrounded by quick fixes and TV yeah. shows with people that losing huge volume that I think it sets this unrealistic expectation without consideration for those longer term side effects. Yeah. And let me also add over exercising is another huge problem with respect to fat loss is where people think more is better with exercise. And a lot of the research is clear and I see it in my office, 30 minutes oftentimes is way more effective than 60 minutes for long-term fat burning strategies. Um, That's very, very important. So some people, you know, they eat less and exercise more as their strategy, which may work short term, but typically does not work long term. And as one of my favorite um, naturopaths, Jay Tita talks about, and this is a conversation with my patients, there's four toggles you can hit when working with the patient. There's the exercise, it can be more or less. There's the eating, it can be more and le- more or less. So you have to really be specific um, with the patient, do they need to exercise more or less, eat more or less, and explain to them that. But 
exercise more, eat less, doesn't work long term. Yeah, the calorie fallacy, we call it. Exactly. Uh, cool. Exactly. All right, so so far the mistakes are obviously eating too little for too long. Um, mm-hmm. Secondly, potentially too much exercise. Yep. What else do you see? Well, you know, sleep is a big component too. If people are not paying attention to their sleep, that certainly affects your ability to lose fat and muscle. And of course, there's the obvious things, but even though everyone knows the importance of water, you know, most people are definitely not consuming enough water, you know, through the day to help with their fat loss. So all those things are very, very important. Yeah, foundational. Absolutely. Exactly. All right, so let's switch over to having a bit more of a conversation about building muscle. So we know what our energy requirements are roughly, at least to start the, the N equals one. Um, mm. what, are, what are our other priorities? Obviously, sleep is a big one. Yeah. Well, getting the right stimulus on the muscle to break down the muscle for it to get bigger, you know, hypertrophy mm-hmm. is key. You know, I was a natural bodybuilder back in the day. I worked with the New York Jets for a couple of years. So I've been kind of studying building muscle since I'm about 11 years old. And a very important concept is called variable split training. I think it was first introduced by Dr. Fred Hatfield. He's a PhD and he's been writing for years. He recently passed away about a year ago. But in a nutshell, you know, certain body parts take a certain amount of time to recover. You know, I would see guys who want to increase their, their quads and glutes. They would train them more often, like two or three times a week, where in essence, you would actually want to give those muscle groups six to seven days to recover because the research is clear is that the larger the muscle group, the more time it takes to recover. And the, and the glass blows out and there's damage. There's, it takes a lot more time and manpower to repair a, a large building versus a small building where the buys and the tries, you know, they can recover in 48 hours. So you can literally train your buys and tries three days a week, but your larger body parts like your, your quads and your chest and your back could require four to five days based on the research. And this is something I learned years ago and I've, you know, um, you know, disseminate this information to many different types of athletes and the results can be remarkable. So it's called variable split training and it's something that I, I'm going to make available actually on my website. Yeah, cool. I think that's a really important area because, um, you know, again, it's that overtraining or more is more model yeah. that I think people fall into a trap of. That's exactly right. You know, today's workout is only as good as yesterday's recovery, right? And that means, you know, the st- the the water, your food, but making sure that, you know, you're training that muscle group when you're in that super compensation phase, not in the fatigue phase. So if I train chest on Monday and I try to train it, train it Tuesday, I'm weaker. My muscles have fatigued. They have broken down. You want to then wait three, four days, sometimes in it again. That's where hypertrophy continues. And you can actually really count on good results like that if you're hitting your macronutrients as well. Yeah, beauty. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So we've spoken about a number of different um, tests that you do. So food intolerance testing, stool testing. Um, are there some other tests that you prioritize mm-hmm. and talk to us more yeah. about those? I like micronutrient testing where we're looking at vitamin analysis, you know, looking inside the white blood cell, the red blood cell. There's some really good labs I'm using. You know, so what I tell people, you know, they say, what do you do with nutrition treatments? And I said, well, basically, 
we specialize in vitamin mineral analysis, food sensitivity testing, metabolism, and weight loss. So I love micronutrient testing. I love the food sensitivity testing. We certainly do stool testing when needed. We do the leaky gut testing through wheat zoomer. Sometimes genetic testing I'll recommend if I think there's significant methylation issues with certain patients. And of course, you know, we're going to start using some of the Dutch testing, if you're familiar with that, which is a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. We'll do adrenal testing. So I don't throw all these tests at the patient on the first visit. You know, I really take our time to determine, you know, what the person needs based on questionnaires and, and go from there. Yeah, cool. But lots of options, obviously, depending on the individual. Yeah, you've got to dig deep. Sometimes in functional nutrition, functional medicine, you've got to dig deep and find out what is a primary um, consideration in someone's health issues and challenges. Yeah, I totally agree. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, your online home is nutritiontreatmentcenter.com. Tell us about mm-hmm. some of the programs that you've got available. Yeah, so you know, I do have some really cool stuff. I have, I have some good product lines out there, but the Peak Performance Manual, um, people really love it. Where for I think it's thirty dollars, it's a PDF. Someone could just you know order it right online, and it's got like seventy or seventy-five different food options. So at first, it takes you through a little formula to determine what what are your goals. Do you want to lose fat? Do you want to build muscle, or do you want to build muscle and simultaneously lose fat? From there, I take you through an easy formulation, looking at your weight, a predicted metabolism come up with a caloric amount, and they're adjusted to 25% up, down, or stay right in the middle if you want to build muscle, lose fat simultaneously. And then through this formula, I teach you basically how many protein, carbs, and fat grams you need, and then how to time it out. And then that's like what I call the foundation. But anybody can give you macros. Then I got to give you the bricks for the foundation. So we have like 75 different meal options for different caloric intake needs to really give you a sense of what foods you can plug in to hit your macronutrient goals. And I'm a big fan of if someone needed, let's say, 150 grams of protein, and I had them on a five-feeding schedule, like 30 grams of protein per meal. So we teach in the serving. So it's a really cool manual that's been very helpful for my patients. I've made it available online the last six months and sold hundreds, and the feedback has been fantastic. Yeah, beautiful. Very foundational information, and obviously giving someone that that individualization that perhaps I'm missing. Yeah, and also if someone just will sign up on our newsletter, I do um, you know a lot of videos, and I really one thing that's kind of made me almost famous is what's ticking off Doctor Tom, where I do videos and I just kind of bring about like things that are really ticking me off. Like recently, I did something on macaroni and cheese. We found out here um, some studies show that there's you know there's there's toxins in macaroni and cheese that are you know we know about hormone disruptors and stuff like that, and all these things that are you no know, inner food supply or or what's going on there with medicine and you know people do get a kick out of what's taken off Dr. Tom can these short videos are bring to your attention things you need to know about you know we need to be our best advocate as you well know yeah for sure and information is power big time yeah awesome all right I'd like to give you some space to share anything else that you would like to um, discuss with us and then of course direct us to where we can learn more yeah well, I tell you what, I just came off um, about three hours ago. Um, I was at a charity. I actually had three charity events this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and this, this one today. My former uh, grammar school gym coach and teacher, Dick Wolf, his name is, um, they did a, a fundraiser for him because his wife um, is now a double amputee from like the hips down because of diabetes and um, the doctor's bills and some other things he's been going through like Hurricane Sandy. He's still recouping from that. 
So they did, we did a fundraiser and I don't know how much money we raised, but I was there and I didn't see the wife, but I'm like, well, what's going on with, you know, Dick Wolf, diabetes and the, 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 how it can really impact the family. And it's such a huge problem here in America. And we need to continue to share and educate patients and everyone alike what we need to do to prevent this, especially children. You know, the, uh, the America leads the world in obese children. It's frightening. So I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. And that's why I always, I always try to say yes to podcasts, um, even on a Sunday night here in New Jersey at 6 p.m., um, because it's important to get messages out. So I appreciate this platform and just, just teach people about healthy eating and a lot of the stuff we're eating, you know, there's no such thing as junk food. It's either junk or it's food, man. And 90% of the time you should be eating food, right? So I have a 10 year old daughter. We've taught her right. And she's on some of the videos. So it's kind of cool. So I appreciate this platform. And I, I think we could all do more to help others prevent, you know, this diabetes that's going on out there. Yeah, I completely agree. And we're very grateful for your time. So I'll head all, um, I'll get all our listeners to head to the show notes to learn more about you and obviously where they can download their resources. And it was great to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Me too. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.